Welcome to Season 2 of The Straight and Marrow, a podcast that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare professionals, patients and carers, with current evidence to keep it straight. The Straight and Marrow is sponsored by Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation. Arrow's mission is to improve the survival and quality of life for bone marrow transplant patients and to provide support for carers. Shazza, hi, welcome to The Straight and Marrow. Hello. Great to have you here with us. Today we have Shazza Arbo, who is actually recently Dr. Shazza Arbo, having completed her PhD. Congratulations. Uh, And Alex, one of our clinical nurse consultants. And together today, we're really excited to talk to you about exercise and the importance of it for people having allogeneic transplants. We know that you are an expert in this field and have a passion for optimising health in people with cancer, predominantly people who have had allogeneic transplants. So welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Hello, Alex and Yvonne. <laughs> I've been wanting to be on here for a while, so yes, it's very it's been exciting. a long time coming, but I'm glad. <laughs> this is yes. one of our core topics that we wanted to do when we initially started planning the podcast. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited to finally be here. Thanks for having me. So, look, a good place to begin is to talk about why exercise is so important for people having allogeneic transplants. Absolutely. So, I'm sure the listeners already know this, but having a blood cancer can be really taxing. Like, as you guys know, it has quite, I guess, whole body effects. So, it Mm. can cause fatigue, pain, nausea, you know, really disrupts your life. And we know that even the whole process of going through treatment really disrupts your life. You know, you might have to stop working or studying because you've had to have appointments even to find out that you have blood cancer. Mm -hmm. So even before you start your treatment, it's quite a taxing burden on your time and your life. And so one of the things that we're learning is that exercise is something that really empowers people to take control And it helps them to return to some sort of sense of routine and can really help with those symptoms that I mentioned. So fatigue, that physical strength and fitness that people lack, it really helps people to get back to those levels. And it sounds like an absolute no-brainer that you would keep physically active and that you would plan exercise. But it's, you know, when you've got so many things going on and you've got so many symptoms, one of the last things that you want to think about doing is going for a walk or doing something Mm. physical. So it's sort of something that we can't stress enough, the importance of it, because it tends to drop off your priority list. And so we are here to remind you that it should jump back in that list. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And so let's break it down a little bit, because obviously there are some really important stages of allogeneic transplant. And we know it's not just the transplant. Mm. It's the period before, it's the period during, and it's the period after. So let's just spend a little bit of time talking about why exercise is important leading into the transplant, mm-hmm. during transplant and after transplant. Absolutely. So if we start with the lead in, 
So you yourself will probably know if, you know, as a listener or even, you know, if you don't have blood cancer, the fitter and stronger you are, if you're struck with an illness, the better you'll come out of it on the other end. Mm. So prior to your transplant, if you already have quite a good, you know, baseline physical level, fitness level, and same goes with psychological level because we know that, you know, physical activity can have psychological benefits as well. So there's a lot that helps you sort of position yourself in the in the best, I guess, position mm. to to deal with what's coming because, unfortunately, we know the transplant will knock you around and so building yourself up to your strongest, fittest, mentally healthiest person as best as you can, knowing that it's, some of it's outside of your control, obviously, and being kind to yourself through physical activity is, is going to put you in a really good place. To build up that like physical reserve, that you know mental resilience. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then when you move to during the transplant, you know, there'll be times where you'll be feeling so lethargic and fatigued, and it seems like all you want to do is stay in bed. You know, you've, if you're in the hospital, you might have nurses and doctors checking on you really regularly, and so it seems like an effort to get out of that bed or out of the chair. But actually we know from the research that has been done both internationally and in Australia that exercise or or even just keeping physically active is one of the most important things to combat fatigue and lethargy. And I do actually want to take a step back a second and just define the difference when I say exercise and physical activity. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, so we use the terms interchangeably a lot and exercise can be quite daunting. But broadly, physical activity essentially means any sort of physical movement that involves energy and moving your muscles and joints. So that might be gardening. It might even be taking a shower for some Mm. people. That might be quite an effort. Can be exhausting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so within the sort of broad umbrella term of physical activity, exercise sits in as a subset. And exercise can be defined as a more planned, strategic um, activity where you are actually planning to either build or maintain a certain goal. So you might be aiming to build your cardiovascular fitness or you might be aiming to build your muscle strength. And so it's also planned in that you might do it for a certain period of time each week. So you might aim to do a 10-minute walk each day. And so you might call that exercise because it's structured, it's planned and there's a goal behind it. That's the difference between physical activity as a broad term and exercise as a more specific structured activity. And so when you're, you know, in the hospital setting during your allogeneic transplant, as I mentioned, exercise might be the last thing you want to do. So we actually tend to shift a little bit more to the physical activity term. And so that any bodily movement will be really helpful when you're in the hospital. And so we actually did, with Yvonne, (laughs) we did a little research project that we called the Boost Study. Excellent name. Yes, a bit of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't steal it from the chocolate bar. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially we exercised with around 40 patients who were having their allogeneic transplant um, at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And we, we used that more to test how realistic it would be for our patients, firstly, and then how much benefit they would get out of it. And we did a group-based program so that people were exercising together, not in isolation, because that's another thing. Being in hospital, having a transplant can be so isolating. Yeah. You know, we're very protective of you, understandably, but you really miss out on that social interaction with other people who are on the same path as you are, or a similar path anyway. 
So we did this group-based program and people loved it. We did a really nice component where we actually interviewed people to get more qualitative information around their feedback and perspectives. And the main thing to come out of it was that they actually loved working together in that group setting for peer support and camaraderie and people felt like they actually went into the transplant potentially feeling a bit weak but then came out of it feeling a lot stronger and if they didn't feel stronger yeah and if they didn't feel stronger they felt really mentally empowered and had that real psychological benefit to it as well so it sort of goes hand in hand that physical and psychological that's great and it kind of flips the traditional kind of beliefs around transplant Mm. on its head doesn't it that you will come out weaker and you know, feeling really flat emotionally. So, I mean, yeah. for something so simple, there it, are so many benefits. It sounds like a, I just need a magic pill and I'll feel better in all these ways. It sounds like the magic pill. It does, <laughs> it does. And now I can't remember who said that, but that's a quote by somebody that ah. if, if you could bottle up exercise and put it into a pill, then it would be a magic pill. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a David Ritchie thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, he definitely helped lead this project as well. Yeah. So thanks to David. <laughs> it really helped reinforce that even locally in our setting, you know, in Melbourne, that doing that physical activity in a group setting or if, if group's not your thing, that's absolutely fine. You could do it individually. But that, that little study just really helped us to reinforce that it is, it's doable. It's mm. not impossible. And you can work around your symptoms. You need to respect your symptoms, obviously, and, and you can't just push them aside and push through pain or, or really push through discomfort. You do need to respect your symptoms and we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah, great. Um, but it, the point of that sort of boost study was that it showed it was it was doable and that people really enjoyed it. And it was safe. It was safe, exactly. There were no negative outcomes from it. Nobody sort of had any issues with infection or bleeding or anything like that, which sometimes, like Yvonne said, we're historically a little bit, you know, cautious about and can be worried about, but it was really nice to see that it was safe, yeah. And then I guess the third part of your question is following transplants. So in that, I guess post-transplant recovery can last sort of, you know, really varied amount of time depending on the individual and what we we did another little study with Yvonne and David and a few others which was a following transplant sort of rehabilitation program and again we did in a group-based setting but this was once people had already gone home and again it was really similar outcomes people enjoyed that group setting people enjoyed feeling physically and mentally stronger and more empowered and there were no I guess what we call adverse events so it was safe like you said like I said, the trajectory of recovery from transplant can last a really long time. So it's important to treat yourself well and keep listening to your body and keep going on your own journey to reach your goals. So if it's, you know, doing your physical activity regularly to build up to your return to work or return to school or study, whatever it is that your goals are. What do you mean by respecting your symptoms? I kind of like the sound of that. Yes, good question. So it's inevitable that you're going to have symptoms from your cancer but also from your treatment Mm. and I know you're on so many medications. (laughs) You know, you hear a lot about multiple medications so there's going to be side effects naturally and so when I say respecting your symptoms, if you are feeling really fatigued, like I mentioned earlier, being physically active will actually help increase the blood flow and the oxygen around your body and help reverse that fatigue that you're feeling. 
but you need to understand that it's not going to eliminate your fatigue completely and that you might like to think of your body as a tank of petrol and that if you used all your petrol in one go and then you had to cook dinner or you had to go and have a shower but you haven't got any petrol left in the tank, that's not a good idea Mm. because you'll be absolutely exhausted and you won't be able to do anything else that's important to your life. You'll be running on fumes. Yes. Mm. You don't want that. No. (laughs) So the ideal way to do it is a very simple strategy called pacing. You bite off little little bite-sized chunks and you, like I said, respect that fatigue or you might have other symptoms. You might have pain or dizziness or shortness of breath. And so you need to acknowledge those symptoms and see how far you can push them without really risking yourself or safety. And I can get specifically into safety a bit later. But essentially what you want to do is do little bite-sized chunks. So I might say, all right, in six weeks' time, your goal will be to walk for 30 minutes at a medium pace where you're puffing a little bit so you know you're working hard. But right now you can just do that five minutes at a time maybe five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon. And then each week you might build up to seven minutes in the morning, seven minutes in the afternoon, mm. etc. Do you know what I mean? I think it's also really nice to see that growth over time. Mm. Like, oh, I'm at 10 minutes. Yeah. And particularly when you're in the routine of post-transplant or, you know, peri-transplant period, mm. it can feel like you're not making any progress and that can mm. be nice markers. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that we like to do or I like to do with my patients is ask them to write down their progress. So sometimes using a diary or a little calendar is really helpful where you can actually mark your progress. Because like you said, sometimes it's just this monotonous journey and you'd feel like you're not getting anywhere. You're walking through mud. Mm. But if you go back and go, oh, actually three weeks ago, I was only walking five minutes. Now I'm walking 15 minutes. Look at me. High five. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so m- marking your progress is really helpful as well. And one of the other things we know from the literature that sometimes using physical activity tracking devices like a Fitbit mm. or a Garmin or a you know Apple Watch whatever you know take your choice they can be really helpful too because you can almost get a little bit competitive with yourself and go oh I've done 2,000 steps this week every day next week I'm going to do 3,000 steps and again use that sort of goal focused progress but also don't be too hard on yourself yeah that's really important isn't it so important yeah because there is a risk that people will feel defeated Mm. you know through that process so I think that's a really important point mentioned before that you have a conversation with the patients that you see around setting goals and helping them write achievable goals Mm. and set those goals. Who would you recommend people, uh, our listeners, speak to? There are websites where you can go to see an accredited exercise physiologist or a physiotherapist. And the website for finding a physiotherapist is choose.physio. And for finding an exercise physiologist is so ESSA.org.au forward slash find AEP. We'll, we'll pop that in the show notes. Awesome. And essentially you can find out who's specifically got cancer experience. And that's not to say that you need to see a physio with specific cancer experience. Some people will feel more comfortable with seeing a professional that has a specific cancer experience. Mm-hmm. But a physio will work with you or an exercise professional will work with you to set your goals. Essentially, majority of the haematology patients or blood cancer patients I've met know far more about their condition than I do. Mm-hmm. So you should feel empowered to tell the healthcare professional that 
you think these will be your limits and work with them on those limits. So that's my advice. And I think particularly around if you feel like you're having persistent pain or you're just not getting anywhere or something's not quite normal for you, you'll know your body quite well. Mm. So that should be a bit of a red flag for you to seek help. And it would usually start with you chatting to your GP or if you're still in that sort of peritransplant period, you're probably still seeing a haematology nurse or your, or your haematology doctor. So it might be a starting conversation with them and getting advice from them and they could potentially refer you to an exercise expert as well. So just really trying to be in tune with your body. A question that comes up in practice is, you know, where where should I begin? Mm. You know, obviously you've talked about setting goals, but how much exercise should people be doing? Does it depend on their baseline? You know, mm-hmm. you know what they come into into transplant with, what level of fitness? So what should people at a very minimum be aiming for? Yes, this is a wonderful question. So there are lots of international guidelines around what we should be aiming for. In an ideal world, each individual who has cancer or is healthy, the guidelines are the same, should be aiming for 30 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity at least five days of the week. That sounds like a lot. So they should also, the guidelines also say that you should be aiming for two to three sessions a week of resistance training. So just working your muscles a little bit. Now, it's important that you start at your level. So if you think about, you know, if if you're climbing a mountain or doing biting off a lot. Mm. My, one of the things my husband says to me is, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> I love this one. One bite at a time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because it sounds ridiculous if you're doing absolutely nothing to go, all right, Shazza, now you have to walk 30 minutes a day every day. Yeah, so, it seems that's not achievable. Daunting mm. enough that you don't start. Exactly. So now all of the international guidelines are actually shifting to avoiding what we call sedentary time. So sedentary time is the time that you spend sitting, essentially Mm. being a couch potato. So we want to avoid that sort of couch time, sitting time or lying in bed time. And we often advise to just break that up at least every one to two hours by moving your body for two to three minutes at a time. So that's as basic as it can start. Seems more doable. Seems more yeah. doable, right? So you could just get up and open the blinds. Yes. You could get up and make a cup of tea or something. Yeah, check exactly. the mailbox, get yep. some fresh air. Yep, absolutely. Even if it's just standing up, sitting down five times in a row. Right, yeah, good. Yep. Really simple yeah. things like that. And so, again, if this sounds too daunting, that's when I would advise that you seek professional exercise support because – that's relatively, you know, I'm starting quite basic there. And if even that seems like a lot, it probably means that you need a little bit more help. And maybe it's just a little bit of motivation. And sometimes exercising with a partner is really helpful or a friend, family member, someone that will keep you accountable. Mm. Knowing or acknowledging, I should say, that not everybody's going to be at your level. Yeah. So if you feel more comfortable actually just having a professional guide you through that, then you've you got to do you at mm. the end of the day. There's yeah. no one size fits all and we all need to acknowledge that and you yourself need to acknowledge that and be kind to yourself and go, yep, maybe just walking to the letterbox is enough for today and then I'm going to make a cup of tea. Mm. Tomorrow I'm going to walk to the letterbox twice. Yeah. You know, little things like Australia that. Australia Post doesn't come that often. <laughs> <laughs> and look, sometimes it is much 
more palatable to be gently told what you should be doing by someone who's not a friend or a family member. Yeah, true. Yeah, very true. true. Yes, and that's that's one thing, probably not so much in Australia, but that we find in international research is that if the doctor says to do it, then people will do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a really interesting concept and there's there's a fair bit of research going into motivation as well. And that's a really interesting concept. I'm not sure we have all the time to unpack, but you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you might already be motivated to be listening to a podcast about exercise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we then target people that are not so motivated to exercise or how do we get people to start? Like you said, Yvonne, was like, how do we go from zero to something? And mm. something is better than nothing. And that's the ultimate saying to steal that from Ash Barty and those commercials. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> So what are some things that people can be doing at home? Mm. So like we said, the simple walks around the house, going outside, getting some fresh air in the garden, if that's available to you, standing up and sitting down five to ten times in a row at your own pace can be really helpful to build both your leg muscles and your arm muscles if you're pushing up off the chair. Mm. Some simple things like, I guess... I don't want to prescribe an exercise program on the radio station, you know, (laughs) because it's very hard to explain and I don't want you to, I guess, misunderstand what I'm saying. Yeah, but there are things you can do without access to, say, a gymnasium, you know. Absolutely. You don't need weights. Yes, and so you can walk. That's what I would say is the safest, easiest thing for you to do in your own home environment. Mm. Find a walk that you enjoy. So it might be the local park and find a bench that you can sit on to have a rest if you need a rest. And so some people use a local park and they'll walk around it three times, sit down on the bench, and then the next week walk around it four times, sit on the bench. So finding little things like that within your environment that are going Mm. to work for you. And if walking is just absolutely not your thing, find something else. So maybe that does mean borrowing a stationary exercise bike from a family friend or or if you've got the means purchasing or hiring one to just get those legs moving, Mm. get those muscles There are lots of resources on Mm. YouTube and on the internet and obviously, you know, we'll pop it in the show notes, you can talk to your local physio. Yes. They will have even more resources. Yeah. And the other other resource that's really readily available is the Leukaemia Foundation Mm. and they're brilliant. They've got blood cancer support workers. If you pick up the phone and call them, They will help guide you to your local exercise professional. They'll also help direct you to some simple exercise programs that can be found online. And the Leukaemia Foundation does have some simple exercise programs online as well that you can do. So, for example, that sitting and standing Mm. exercise. There are some simple arm and leg exercises that at least you'll have a visual picture of on the internet rather than me just verbally describing them. Yeah, yeah. It (laughs) can be hard without a picture to (laughs) know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Do you recommend that people speak to their healthcare professional before commencing an exercise program post-transplant, even if they were incredibly fit prior to transplant? Is that something that's, you know, particularly important? You know, you talked about safety before. Mm. Um, your recommendation? I think it depends on you as an individual. So for some types of cancer, so for example, multiple myeloma, you might have lesions in your bones. And that's the kind of thing where I definitely recommend seeking advice from your exercise professional or from a referral, like you said, from your nurse or your doctor. 
Uh, and that's just because it would be important to potentially avoid little activities that might aggravate your pain or, or aggravate the, the lesion, so to speak. Then there are other cancers that we wouldn't necessarily have big concerns about. Like Yvonne said, if you've started from a really high baseline, hopefully you know what's normal for your body. And if you notice that your, your body's not quite right then definitely seek advice from a health professional. But also, I guess going off topic slightly, you will notice that whatever you were pre-having cancer or, or pre-having a transplant, you may not get back to exactly that level and that's okay. You might need to find a slightly new normal mm. or you might find that, you know, pre your transplant you could walk for 30 minutes up a hill and you felt great and now walking up a hill your heart rate's going quite quickly. So that sort of thing might worry you and that's where you might seek advice from an exercise professional as to potentially, you know, checking that heart rate, checking the blood pressure, making sure it's all safe and how far you should push yourself. But one thing I do recommend for track and monitoring how, how hard you should push yourself is we use two little, I guess, scales. We use one scale which I call a traffic light system. So it's sort of green, orange, red, as you can imagine. Mm. And you just check in with yourself each day how well you're feeling. And you could use it as green is, yep, I'm feeling really good. That means traffic light is go, do whatever you feel like you can do that day. Orange is like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit iffy. I've got mm. some fatigue or symptoms. I'll do sort of a medium level of physical activity today. Red is, oh, something's not quite right. I'm going to take it a little easier today. You know, if it's, if it's quite bad in the really low red level, then you might go and see your nurse or your doctor or something like that. So that's sort of checking in before you even start your physical activity for each day. The second scale that I like to use is during your physical activity. And that's ah, like good. a zero to 10. Uh -huh. So it's like, okay, zero is I'm not really working that hard. I'm not really puffed out. My Piece breathing's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> you know, could, could just be lying down. Yeah. 10 is like, oh, I'm so puffed, I'm about to pass out. You know, I'm working really hard. So if you want to be working somewhere in the middle, sort of around four or five, where you're like, oh, yeah, this is moderate, I'm puffing, I'm puffing a little bit, I can exercise and talk, but I can't exercise and sing because then, ah. I, then it would be like too easy. Yeah. But if I can sing and run, I'm probably not running hard enough. <laughs> but if I can walk and run or, you know, sorry, talk and run or yeah, talk yeah, and yeah. walk, then I'm, I'm at a pretty good level. And then you'll also be able to measure, you can use, you can actually write down that zero to 10 scale on your calendar or on your diary if you want to, to then go, okay, yeah, I'm feeling like quite good today. And last week I was feeling that just going for a walk, I was already at like seven out of 10 on that scale. Whereas today, just going for a walk, I'm only at a four or five. So I'm mm. progressing here. So it's just, again, a little tool that you can use to check in with yourself. Yeah. But do what works for you at the end of the day. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Just to finish up, what is the one take-home message that you would like to give to our listeners around physical activity and exercise? So let's separate those, mm -hmm. you know, formally. Um, what's something that, you know, people should keep in front of mind when they're considering or participating in physical activity or exercise? One message is a challenge. But I think my final message is to really take control of this whole going through a transplant and going through this part of life that you can't really control that much. 
the part that you can control is how much physical activity you do, how much exercise you do. So take that as a little nugget of, you know what, I can't control my medication, I can't control my symptoms, but I can control how much my body does Mm. and that will then go into a nice cycle of your body actually responding really well to the symptoms, to the treatment, to the cancer and the recovery process. Yes. That's a great message. That's a great one and it's empowering. Thank you so much, Shazza. Thanks, Shazza. Great to talk to you. you. Thank you so um, much. And see you out on the running track. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we have. Just a reminder that although our straight and married team are experienced healthcare professionals, we are unable to give individual medical advice. If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates. And for more information about Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation, go to arrow.org.au.